I'm really excited. Um, it's actually kind of funny how God talks to me. Is like He'll drop something in you know my heart. Like with this particular message, I think it was like three years ago. And then I'm like, I don't know what to do with it. He'll just be talking about it. And I'm just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, I'll just be like writing notes and stuff. I'm like, is this something I'm going to need like soon? And he usually doesn't answer. He just like gives me more. And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> and so I'm just like getting all these little things. And um, it's actually, um, I like writing. It's one of the things I really enjoy doing. I like, uh, you know, writing short stories. I like um, writing kind of like Devo style um, little short messages and stuff. And uh, I haven't been doing it a lot in the last couple years, but it's one of the things I enjoy. And so this is actually, this message is um, someday one of the books I want to write. Um, and so you guys are getting the first uh, open of the can, so to speak. And let's hope it's still fresh, right? Um, so my sermon today is titled The Warrior Spirit of God. And so um, I'm really thinking what God wants to do this morning, just based off of kind of how he was moving in worship today, is really is that strengthening that comes from fear being outside of our life. That strengthening that comes when there is an absence of fear. And how do we get to that place? How do we get to a place where we're not walking on the edge we're wondering, how is this going to work out? How is this going to happen? We're constantly having those questions pop into our head, like, where am I going to find my sure footing? Where am I going to find that place of, of confidence? You know, the world is looking for confidence. Have you ever been into a self-help section? <laughs> there are thousands upon thousands of self-help books of people trying to find a way out of fear, trying to find a way to be the, the part of them that they know is real. They know inside of them there's something great, subconsciously. And some of us have these mindsets of, oh, no, I'm not great, um, or false humility, and no, I can't be great. But inside of us, I really believe the reason we struggle so much against fear is because there's something great inside of us that is fighting to get out, that's trying to burst out of us, that's trying to step forward into the fullness of what we were created to be. You were created to be something great because you were made in the image of someone great. And, and to really, to put that under a bushel, to put that light of, of this image that God created us in under a bushel and say that's actually not for the world is a lie. There's something great inside of you waiting to get out. And this morning, I'm, I'm just going to knock a little bit. I'm hoping I'm going to knock a little bit on your hearts. I'm going to knock a little bit and say, hey, it's okay. <laughs> you guys can come out of there. <laughs> I know it's, it's kind of scary. I mean, I, you're talking, this is someone talking who has struggled with social anxiety so bad in college that um, there would be days that I wouldn't go to class because I would be in bed afraid to get up and go to class and be around people. Just terrified, absolutely terrified. Uh, I would be sitting in a room with my classmates, and my mind was so jacked up with social anxiety that if I heard someone laugh, I would think immediately they're laughing at me for something. That's how twisted 
fear can get us. It can put us in a knot. It can put us in a pretzel. And we're constantly fighting in our own mind trying to get out of it just to get through our day. And so I want to talk about the warrior spirit of God this morning, not just for ourselves, but I want to talk about the warrior spirit of God, us coming to recognize that side of God so we can recognize it in ourselves, and we can be a change to the world around us, okay? So anytime you look at God in the Bible, you can look at him and you can translate his intention for people through who he is. Why is that? Because we're made in the image of God. So God is love. What was his intention for people? Love, okay? To be living testimonies of love, okay? So when I say God is a warrior, God is a fighter, what is his intention for us? And I really think this is highlighted probably best in our kind of action hero movie thinking, you know, of modern days in the Old Testament. We see God doing all these things of movements of deliverance and just craziness happening where he comes through and there's red seas that part and, you know, all this crazy stuff. You see this dramatic side of God that he's showing an unbelieving world. And we we see that he's fighting for Israel through the Old Testament. We just see him constantly fighting for Israel. Um, Some people read the Old Testament. They're like, I I thought he was just picking on Israel the whole time. (laughs) Some of you guys have read the Old Testament. Um, <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some things because it keeps me on track. So God in modern eras, mostly in and through contemporary Christianity, has gotten a reputation for being kind, full of grace, and gentle as a flower. Rightfully so. God is the softest and cuddliest there is. However, what a lot of people have been afraid to talk about is the aggressive, passionate, and downright destructive force God can be. And I want you guys to hang on with me here before you start getting a little uncomfortable about where this is going. It's going to be good. (laughs) Some of this is going to be a little intense, but I'm only going to leave you there for a second, then we're going to move out of it, okay? So just know there is light at the end of the tunnel. Some, Some people only talk about the judgment of sin in regards to God, because they are more concerned with being aware of their personal and everyone else's sin um, and their failure than searching out and enjoying the riches of a New Testament lifestyle. Okay, and you, you see this sometimes with people that are so concerned about, you know, I'm, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we're all sinners, hurrah. And, um, and there really isn't a lot of life in that. There's not a lot of freedom in that. And yeah, like, we shouldn't sin, but... The reason we don't sin is because we have a bigger yes. We're saying yes to all this good stuff over here, and that actually keeps us from sinning. Um, And that's actually how you get out of a sinful lifestyle is you find a bigger yes. So if any of you have something that you're struggling with, just find a bigger yes that's in God. Um, Just good stuff. So, however, violent acts of God are a real thing. And this is where you're all like, oh, no, where are we going here? (laughs) If you don't think so, you better close your eyes on Judgment Day. I know that's really hard. That's a hard message for me. I'm just like, but Jesus, you're so nice. <laughs> he is. He does not play when playtime is over. Okay. So we see a lot of these moments in the Old Testament as a result of belligerent sin and idol worship. 
People who aren't born again are subject to their sinful nature, and the result in the Old Testament was pretty astounding. The no more of this moments of God often led to times like Korah's rebellion, where God opened the earth and swallowed Korah, his men, and all they owned, and then 250 rebels had fire leap out from manifestation of God's glory and consume them. And you're like, but that was the Old Testament. You're right. You're right. It's going to be good. All right. (laughs) Why did God go to such an extreme? He's so extreme in the Old Testament. And like, have you noticed that a lot of the stuff in the New Testament is a little more, it seems more subtle to us, you know, like raising someone from the dead, a little subtle. Uh, (laughs) But, (laughs) you know, it's like these extremes you see in the Old Testament. Okay. So the difference being that, um, and we've talked about this and you hear ministers talk about this all the time. Old Testament, no one's saved. The only line of redemption is through the Levitical priesthood. That's it. It's an IOU, basically for sin. God says, I'm holding off judgment because of the lamb, Jesus, that was slain before the foundation of the world. And us doing the priesthood is going to maintain you guys. It's going to protect you guys from the consequences of sin until we get to Jesus. And then Jesus is the breakthrough moment when we get to be redeemed. It's the breakthrough moment when we get to have new spirits and new natures born again. We get a new nature. No longer we're, we're subject to slavery under sin, but we get to choose the nature of God that's residing inside of us through faith. And so that's exciting. See, I told you it would get better. So why did God go through such an extreme? Korah and his men, these guys that got swallowed up by the earth, intended to uproot the priesthood God had established. Think about that. The priesthood was the foundation for his grace to be delivered to sinful Israel and subsequently the world. So this priesthood was the foundation of everything God was going to change about mankind. I mean, it was symbolic completely through and through. If you go through, it's so symbolic of everything that would happen. The lamb that was slain, that's Jesus. All these different offerings that happen, they all point back to Christ or point forward to Christ in this case. And so we see this, this priesthood, and God's establishing it. And these people say, well, actually, anyone can do this. I mean, all you guys do is wear robes all day and go in that tent. I mean, I can do that. Uh, and you get free food, so that's great. <laughs> I'm sure that's probably the thought process that went behind all of this. Uh, and so Korah and his men wanted to uproot the priesthood. And what I believe is Satan had inspired men in Israel's camp to destroy the road that God was paving to Christ by these men. That rebellion was challenging the redemption of the world itself. Korah and his men. So they get swallowed up by the earth, and 250 of them who want to be priests get swallowed up by fire. It's just craziness. And um, the great flood and the exile of Israel and Judah are other examples of this extreme nature of God that you see at times in the Old Testament, um, God's judgment, and judgment's not a dirty word. I know we live in a culture that everyone loves that scripture, judge not unless you be judged. That's a good point, but at the same time, there, there is a judgment day. There is a nature inside of God that says, it's over. This is the time where I'm cutting it off, and he's still perfectly just and perfectly good and perfectly right to do so. And that's what people have trouble with, is God is completely within his rights to judge. And I'm, I'm glad I could talk about this with everyone feeling like, but is he going to judge me? I'm like, 
That's not what we're talking about right now. We're talking about the nature and, and how we can reconcile the intensity of God with his love, with his nature of love. How can we reconcile that? And I think that's a message that needs to happen in the church. Because it's like we can either do the Old Testament or the New Testament. We can't do both. We can't do both. we got to draw the line somewhere. And Jesus is that line. Don't talk about that. Where people got swallowed. It makes people nervous. They're like checking the ground underneath them and stuff. They're like, I was bad this week. You know, you're okay. The earth is not going to swallow you while you're here in the church. All right. <laughs> as soon as you step out, though. <laughs> no, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh. Uh, Trust me, if the earth was going to swallow anyone, it would have been me in college, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah but <laughs> the grace of God is a good thing. Okay, so we see this intensity of God, and um, really all God has to do to judge someone, because there is an adversary, Satan, because there is an enemy, all he had to do to judge someone is to lift his protection, lift his grace, remove his presence, that's it. That's all it takes. That's all it takes is for his influence to not be there for destruction to happen. Because anything outside of God is steal, kill, destroy. Anything outside of him. Those are the, the three categories you get to choose from. None of them are good options. <clears throat> okay. So, we're getting there. So, what I want to talk about, and we're going to shift a little bit, is that God is a defender. He's a fighter. He's a strong tower. You know, you see in the Old Testament, he's constantly got his bows and shooting his arrows in Psalms. Read through Psalms. David has this warrior picture of God that's so real to him. And why? Because David was anointed to be king and a warrior. David was anointed to be a warrior. He fought on a supernatural level under the grace of God. Many people in the Old Testament actually were soldiers, literally, for God. And that's hard for us because, you know, we're all pacifists. <laughs> none, of us, none of us are like, no, you know. All of us, you know, we just want peace and safety. And, and so did they. So did they. But the world was different back then, I'm telling you. We're talking chaos, if there was an order, you know, we're talking about the, the foundation of our civilization where we've all become much more refined and nice to each other. You don't have people come in trying to raid your house and home all the time anymore. I mean, some places, but, <laughs> but you guys get what I'm saying? Like it was a different world. You could wake up and everything could be gone the next day. So God would raise up protectors. He would raise up defenders that were mighty physically and in skill in battle to defend what he was protecting. And if it wasn't necessary, he wouldn't have done it. Because he gave everyone a free will. Even the crazies with all the swords and bows over there that want to kill all of us. You get what I'm saying? So the nature of God is to protect what is good. He wants to protect what is good. Now here's the difference between God and people. Because I have to highlight this. Because as soon as you start talking about the warrior nature of God, you know somebody's just like, Oh, I'm going to fight somebody. <laughs> Calm down. Calm down. No, the difference between God and us is that he actually knows what he's doing. Uh, he's perfectly just. So when it's actually time to fight, it's time to fight. He knows the exact perfect time to fight. He knows the exact perfect time to, to take up arms, so to speak. We don't know that. We're just like, that guy made me mad. You know, 
They, they stole our land. Tuck it, tuck it, tuck it, tuck it. You see it throughout history, even after Christ, is we have these human reasonings that we justify, and we call them morally correct because we really only see our side of things, you know. You look throughout history, you go to, like, our country. I doubt you're going to read all the horrendous things we did throughout history in the United States. You know, it's, it's going to be like, but we did it for good reasons. You know, I'm sure every country's history is like that. It, that's a hard thing to accept, you know, especially being, you know, patriotic and stuff. I love my country. At the same time, I know our hands aren't completely clean. Do I believe God helped establish this nation? I absolutely do. Do I believe everyone who has been in this nation has done the right thing? No. I mean, that's pretty obvious. So why I'm talking about this is because I, I have to highlight this part of God that's a fighter. I have to. I've got to show you that there's a side of him that's unwilling to yield. There's a side of him that doesn't quit. There's a side of him that will keep going regardless of circumstances into the darkest and the hardest places and times in life and fight. And he doesn't shirk back and he doesn't shrink back. And he doesn't apologize for fighting for the ones he loves. He doesn't apologize when Herod stood up and... (laughs) fell over dead in the New Testament. That's a New Testament example. Herod gets up and he's speaking. And they say, he's got the voice of, he's he's the voice of God, basically. He's the voice of a God. They basically equate him to to deity, to a God. And God says, okay, you're done. He falls over dead. He falls over dead. That's a New Testament example. I'm like, but Jesus, did you die for his sins? He did. He did die for his sins. You do have to accept a gift for it to come into your into your lap. God hands it out, but he doesn't force it on you. So God is a defender and a redeemer. That's both defense and offense. To defend, you must protect. And to redeem, you must recover. So that means something that's been stolen. Okay. Imagine a break-in. Cornell, I'm going to use you as an example. Just because I like you. Cornell, imagine it's 3 o'clock in the morning. Everyone's in bed. Okay. And you hear a jostle outside the door. Shaq gets up. He's like, bo, 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 Because Shaq, Shaq's his dog. And uh, Shaq's like, something is awry in this place. <laughs> and so you get up. And you're like, what the heck is going on? You know. Uh, hopefully this isn't Uncle Fred, you know, <laughs> what is he doing here? And so you get up and you have somebody break in and let's say they're armed and let's say you're, let's say you're armed and let's say you, all your girls are in the house, your wife is in the house and you have a split second to decide in that moment what you're going to do. Okay. And so let's say you're even nice about it and you're like, I've got a gun. If you don't get out, I'm going to shoot. And let's say the guy says, I've got a gun too. (laughs) And he doesn't leave. You get to decide in that moment whose life is going to live through the night. And that's not an easy decision, is it? And none of us ever want to be in that place. But as a father... And as a protector and as a defender, you have to make a judgment 
There's that word, judgment. You have to make a call, right? And so is your judgment, your decision, your choice to let this person come in and destroy all that you love? Or do you choose what you love and choose to protect it and do something about this? Okay. Why do we think God is any different? Why do we think God is any different? You're not a martyr if you let someone kill your family. You didn't do it for, you, you get what I'm saying? Like, you, we take that whole martyrdom of Christians, like Stephen. He was professing for Jesus Christ. He was in a situation where he was putting his life on the line for Christ. It's a totally different situation when someone's breaking in your house and they want to kill, steal, and destroy you. Do you understand the difference? It's not martyrdom. It's not Christian mercy to let that person destroy what's valuable. I, I'm, I'm drawing a line there, and this is an extreme example, but the concept is, is sound, is that there is a nature of God that draws a line. And not, what I'm not saying is, like, we all need to get guns. And it's like, this isn't an NRA message. That's not what I'm getting at, okay? I'm selling memberships, just kidding. Uh, you know, that's not what this is. You're like, we're all terrified. Somebody's going to break in our house now. Thanks, Caleb. Uh, I just want to say that, that violence can come out of love. But I'm not talking about violence today. I'm talking about radical acts. I'm drawing an extreme because I want to push you towards something that's a little more our speed. <laughs> Something that happens every day. Something you deal with every day. Something you are every day. Um, that's a, a hypothetical, and it's a situation that probably won't happen to many of us. Any of us. Um, and so let's turn to Luke 4.18. So now that we've seen that God has some teeth. I know he has teeth because I have teeth. I made in his image. Turn to Luke 4.18. And this next section is called How God Fights for Us Now. So we kind of saw this extreme nature of God in the Old Testament. Now I want to look at the present every day, how love manifests itself in the way of a warrior. How can, can, how can, a, how can love be a warrior? Do you get what I'm saying? How can love manifest itself in a way that... It's fighting. What does it look like for love to fight? Um, this is Jesus. This is like, a, <laughs> last night I was just imagining him like, if there were mics, he would totally drop the mic after he said this. But he's reading uh, from Isaiah, and he's basically giving his mission statement. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And after that, he's like, today, uh, this has been fulfilled in your, ear, in your hearing. <laughs> That's when I think he dropped the mic. He's like, this is about me. He tells all these people, and they're like, really? And then they all want to kill him. Uh, <laughs> but he's giving a mission statement, okay? Preach the gospel to the poor heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. 
Okay? In order to set a captive free, you have to deal with their captors. They're not going to let them go. Hey, can we have those people back? To set people free who are oppressed, you have to deal with their oppressors. And immediately we're thinking, oh, I know some oppressors. I work with them. <laughs> They're my family members. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Colossians 2. Colossians 2. And I brought my Bible up here just so um, the older generations would know that I still own one. <laughs> just kidding. Okay, Colossians 2, and we're going to start at verse 8. i got to say, the old school pages are easier on the eyes. Okay. I think it's verse 8. Oh, I'm in chapter 1. Okay. All right, so beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men. I just feel like everyone should just chew on that scripture for so long. The tradition of men is a phrase that you should be very familiar with. <laughs> and if you've ever been in church, you've definitely seen some. Um, that's just the nature of people. But beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. Hurrah. Who is the head of all principality and power? He's the boss. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, yea, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Yay. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Okay? Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. We just read that his mission statement was to proclaim liberty to the captives. Okay? and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So according to Colossians 2, can we take a guess at maybe who the oppressors were? Maybe he wasn't talking about Rome, who at the time had occupation of Jerusalem and, and all the people. Maybe he wasn't talking about a physical entity. Maybe he wasn't talking about a nation. Maybe he was talking about something a little more lofty. Okay, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Why did that spectacle need to be public? All right. Has anybody ever seen Schindler's List? Okay. Watching it once was enough for me, but... It's it's pretty hardcore movie, but it kind of highlights some of the stuff in World War II that was going on with with Germany and and the oppression that you know they were putting Jewish people through. And in one of the scenes at the end of the war, Schindler, 
you know, he's got his factory, and he's hired all these Jewish people and convinced the Germans that he needs them to produce all their weapons. And so he, I, and it's his way of keeping them alive through the war instead of going to a camp. And so he has compassion on these people, and he has he has a weapons manufacturer uh, or factory, and he has all these people that basically are enslaved labor to him, but it's his way of preserving their life so they don't have to go to camps. If you watch the movie, you'll see it. And he's keeping them all alive. And at the end of the war, some Nazis come in, and they want to execute everyone because they've lost the war. And so Schindler talks them down. He's like, hey, uh, you guys think you're already wanted for enough war crimes? <laughs> and uh, these guys back down and they leave, leave the people alone. There's something about when a war comes to an end that if pockets of the resistance or the people who are still in that country don't know that the war is over, the war is still going on in some places. If word does not reach certain parts of a country that the war is over, then they're gonna just going to keep fighting, right? Because they think the war is still going on. So what am I saying is he made a public spectacle because he wants it to be public. He's notifying the principalities and powers and the people that were oppressed. The war is over. The war is over. The enemy's been defeated. Your time of slavery and your time of brokenness is over. Is over. And that means the enemy has no authority over you. Why did he make them a public spectacle? He wanted you to know that you had been set free. He wanted you to know that you could step into fullness now. You can step and you can communicate to God. You can see God. You can have God living on the inside of you. The war is over. So he makes a public spectacle of him. He takes care of the oppressor. And the warfare that Jesus committed was to step in and take the judgment of God that was meant for you and I, and he put it upon himself. Now, that's very counterintuitive. Usually, you kill the other guy to win the war, right? <laughs> it's like, if we were Jesus, we probably would have gone in with an army and be like, I'm the king of kings, and we're going to kill all the Romans, and we're just going to knock you guys out of here, and I'll establish my worldly, earthly kingdom. That's not what he does. He takes care of the actually that the warfare, the, the carnage that's on this earth is a symptom. It's a symptom of a bigger problem. Dealing with a symptom does not make the problem go away. If Jesus came in with, with armies, took over, established Israel, all this stuff, it doesn't take care of the root problem that we have a sinful nature. He had to do something else. He had to satisfy the judgment of God, which is that we all were deserving of death. The soul that sins must die. That's, that's scripture. The soul that sends Messiah. We, we have no right to, to a single breath in our body because we separated ourselves and stepped outside of life, which is God. God is life. You step outside of life, no life. It's like going into space without a helmet. You're not going to do good. You're not going to do good. Or well, English people. <laughs> uh, cardinal sin of English. Uh, <laughs> So he disarmed these principalities and powers, and he made it public. And his warfare was to take the judgment of God upon himself. So you could be alive in Christ. So you could have reconnection with life. The IOU was over. The payment was made in full. Okay? Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. I would not have done well on a cross. That's all I got to say. <laughs> and it wouldn't have helped anybody either. <laughs> in the New Testament, 
the weapons of our warfare are not the same as the world. They're spiritual ones. So we need to adapt the warrior mindset that we see in the Old Testament and translate it into love. And, and this was a form of love in the Old Testament, but there's a much more Holy Spirit. God's in the business of saving people. <laughs> you know, it's, it's more about the potentiality for your sinful nature not to control you anymore is there now. Okay? David could be like, in the Old Testament, well, why don't you guys get born again? And all the Philistines would be like, we can't. I don't know if that's how it would have happened. <laughs> but their nature could not change in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the potential for somebody in ISIS getting born again is actually there. It's actually already happened. There have been soldiers from ISIS. But am I saying you don't defend yourself? Do I'm saying you let these people, you know, these people ravage you if that's what they want to do? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there is a potential for salvation there. There is. And so the weapons of our warfare are not primarily carnal. They're just not. They're mighty for the tearing down of strongholds, but not the not physical strongholds first. We're taking care of the root cause, not the symptom. And the root cause is we are addressing the sinful nature inside of people. And we're coming to them with an opportunity to lay down their arms, to lay down the things that they think are important, and connect with the God of the universe. And that's when the stronghold will break. That's when the fear, the anger, the desire to destroy, the things that come from the enemy will start to fall off of people's lives. Okay? So we're stepping in, and we're going to see how God fights his wars through that perspective. Okay? A spirit-led warrior in the New Testament is not one of blood and swords as much as it is one of sacrificial love. And Jesus set the example, didn't he? He died on a cross for the sins of the world. He let himself be bruised, broken, martyred, destroyed, cut down, whipped, spit on, ridiculed. Basically, he became a human nastiness dumpster. And all the grossness that people could spew out and into him, he took that. Basically, every form of abuse, verbal, physical, relational, he took it all. His friends abandoned him. His friends ran away. They, were, they, they didn't stand by him in his most crucial moment. They were too afraid. He's endured every slight, every offense that could happen to a human being. He's endured it. And he maintained his love. He maintained his love through the darkest of human condition. When he's being tore up, spit upon, ripped apart, he's enduring it. He doesn't spit back. He doesn't bite back. He doesn't attack. Tell me he's not a warrior. Tell me he's not a fighter. Tell me the, he's not more courageous than us all. <laughs> the love of Jesus is insatiable. His desire for love keeps him on a course that is unerring. It cannot be shifted. And that end is connection with the one he is pursuing. And he pursued and he pursues until what he wants is, is established. And that's connection 
Some of you, he's pursuing so hard. And you can hear him outside your gate saying, hey, what you doing? You can hear him today. Some of you who have been living in sin, your heart is burning on the inside because the Holy Spirit's doing that thing where he just like compresses you. And he's just like, you know, it's true. (laughs) And you're fighting with every ounce of you not to succumb to it because for some reason you're still holding yourself back from God. And I've been there. That's how I know what that feels like. It feels like your insides are being ripped out sometimes because God's goodness is just falling upon you. And you're just like, I can't (laughs) for whatever reason. Your reasons aren't good. I'm just going to tell you that. His love is insatiable. God's love nature drives him into extreme pursuit, extreme grace, extreme deliverance. God is a God of fire because he is constantly invigorated and motivated by the enormous drive of his own love. He doesn't quit. He doesn't stop. He doesn't take a day off of loving you. Thank God. He doesn't wake up and he'd be like, I just don't want to deal with Robert Turner today. (laughs) He doesn't like turn to Gabriel and be like, you guys aren't helping Robert today. We're focusing somewhere else, okay? (laughs) He doesn't do that. Mostly because he likes you a lot. Can we adopt that nature? Maybe it's already inside of us. Maybe it's less about us trying to get there and more of us coming to a realization that that's actually already inside of you. The potentiality for you to love like God is fully present already. That means you already have access to it. And so I'm proclaiming to you today that your love is not hindered, and the war for your love is over. The war for your love to be released is over. And it's not about what people have done to you. It's not about how people have hurt you. Jesus has been where you are. And he went a step further. He went a step further. Let's go to 1 John 4, 12 through 17. I'm really excited about this because some people are going to wake up into the warrior mindset today. Some of you are going to walk away from this room today and you're going to laugh in the face of fear. You're going to laugh. You're going to be like, <laughs> actually, that's not real for me anymore. The smoke and mirrors that fear does in our minds, you're going to see it for what it is today. You're going to have that realization of, oh, this is just an illusion. Fear is an illusion. God's going to give you that eyesight today. I'm really excited about it because some of you are going to walk out of here and all the excuses for love not to manifest in your life, it's not even going to be a struggle for you anymore. You're just going to walk out and you're going to find things. You're going to see it because you're like, normally I would be ripping that person's head right off their body by this point. And for some reason, I'm doing the opposite. And something in you will have already shifted. And you're going to see it. And you're going to be like, this is what Caleb was talking about. It's going to be good. 1 John 4, 12 through 17. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify 
that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he is in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in him abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. That's just confirming what I was saying. The fighter that lives in you through Christ Jesus is going to come out. He's going to come out. He's going to fight for love. You're going to fight for love. Your partnership with love is going to go from this place, and people are going to be set free. The message that the war is over, guess who the deliverers of that message is? You and me. It's you and me. When somebody at work comes at you, you're going to be ready. (laughs) You're going to be ready. And you're going to know the reason that you're attacking me is because you've been broken the way I've been broken. You've been hurt the way I've been hurt. Maybe not the exact same circumstances, but similar pain, similar fear. couple of things and then we'll close out. I have a couple examples here. And these are people we can mostly model ourselves after because one of these guys is an Old Testament knucklehead, but his life is a prophetic picture of what we are supposed to be like in Christ. His name is Samson. Now, you know what I mean by knucklehead? Some of you have read the story of Samson. <laughs> it's just like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's just like, Samson is like one of the most anointed, broken people in the entire Old Testament. He's just so broken, uh, makes so many bad choices, and at the same time, God is completely using him in the Old Testament. And it's just like, how is this even possible? You know, Samson, God should have left you a long time ago. (laughs) And I want to talk about Samson, which his name means like the sun, like in the sky. Like the sun, and the root of that word is it leads to brilliance is the idea of it. And the sun is ever shining. Sometimes you just can't see it, right? It's on the other side of the planet. But it's ever, sh- ever shining. So I think that's perfect for Samson because he was such a mess, but yet his life was ever shining. He was like the sun. Um, judges helped govern Israel, you know, and they were like kind of fighters for Israel. And just to sum it up, Israel would be oppressed, and, and judges would come, and they would fight for Israel and deliver them from the enemy. And Samson was one of these guys. And why I want to highlight him is because your spirit-led acts of love can destroy what the enemy has established and will set people free. Spirit-led acts of love will destroy what the enemy has established, and it will set people free. Okay? And so Samson was constantly looking for an opportunity to fight the Philistines. It's kind of comical, actually, because he'll, like, get himself in these horrible situations where uh, they want to capture him, so he just, like, lets himself be captured. He's like, sure, go ahead, put some ropes around me. If you don't know anything about Samson, the way the Lord anointed him was to basically give him, like, Hulk-like strength, and he's ripping gates off of towns and carrying them on his back, and uh, anytime somebody would try to bind him, he would just be like, just, like, break it, you know. He's like one-man power team. 
And so he would let himself get captured to fight armies. And it's just like, yeah, bring me into the camp. It'll be great. He's like, oh, yeah, you guys got me this time. And uh, they would bring him in, and then he would break the ropes off, and he'd kill them all. I was like, wow, that took a turn. <laughs> he was a one-man ambush. He was, the one, he was just one guy, and he was fighting thousands of people simultaneously. And you're like, that's not possible. I'm like, okay, neither is raising people from the dead, quote-unquote, uh, miraculous healing, all this stuff. And I'm like, it's supernatural, okay? I can't explain it. Uh, I don't know how one man kills a thousand people. Um, I, I just imagine it's like a Jet Li Kung Fu movie, you know, where it's, <laughs> you ever watch those? It's like fighting entire armies, and they're like flying through the air. I just imagine it, Samson was like kind of, and his hair was like flying through the air, and he was like hitting people with jawbones, and it's <laughs> just like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Uh, it, it was probably pretty ridiculous to watch, I'm sure. Um, and so God is looking for one-man ambushes. He's looking for people who are opportunistic. Remember what CJ said last week? Father's Day was last week, right? Yeah, totally. Uh, Who are opportunistic, who are looking for opportunities to spring an ambush of love on people. It's like, you expect me to do this, but actually you're about to get a big bite of the fruit of the Spirit, and you're not going to know what hit you. It's like, I've, I've had people that are yelling at me, and I'm just like, okay. And they're just like, you can see, like, the wheels turning. They're like, why isn't he mad yet? <laughs> They're, like, waiting for it. And it's just, like, confusing. It brings confusion to the enemy. <laughs> Not that they're the enemy. But there's something about the fruit of spirit that actually disarms people, um, especially if they're operating uh, either from just demonic stuff that's happening in their life where they're being pushed towards acting a certain way or just, you know, they've got a bad attitude. The fruit of the Spirit has a way of disarming people, and actually, they eventually end up closer to you. Like, I've had people that really don't like me uh, at first, which, and, you know, some of them still don't, but, <laughs> but at times, I'll see this thing start to happen where it's like they'll come at me day after day after day, and I'm just kind of enduring it, and, like, some days, I'm just like, sometimes I wish I didn't have the fruit of the Spirit so I could strangle you. <laughs> but that's my soul that's still being redeemed. Uh, And so, (laughs) Todd, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) And I'll have these things that are happening on a day-to-day basis, and it's just like I'm letting it come over me, and I'm just like not responding the way they want me to respond or the way they expect me to respond. And I don't know if it's from their home life or from their community life, whatever, where it's just chaos and fighting and all this stuff, or, or just like weirdness. You know, people can be so strange. And just not like... Guys tell dirty jokes at work all the time. Uh, not Cornell. I work with Cornell. <laughs> He's good. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, like, and they'll tell you a joke, and they'll, like, hit the punchline, and I'll just be sitting at them, like, okay. <laughs> and, like, I'm not mad at him, and I'm not, like, I'm just, like, not laughing, and they're just looking at me, like, that's the funniest joke I have. I'm, like, it's actually pretty disgusting. So, um, you know, you know what I'm saying, where your response is not the way that they're used to. And so it begs the question, what's wrong with you? <laughs> they're looking at you like, well, what's the matter with you? <laughs> and eventually, I, I'm not one of those people that go in guns blazing. Like, if you're a guns blazing person, power to you. Like, 
please, we need people like you, where you're just like, Jesus, you know, you're just like, dynamite, Jesus, Jesus. You're like, did I tell you about that time Jesus saved me? Like, in the first five minutes of a conversation with someone you never met, I love that. I love it, love it, love it, love it. Uh, I typically go in a little more low-key. I'm not saying it's one or the other. I'm just saying that's how I usually do it. And I'm kind of like, I'm going to let you get close to me, and I'm going to slowly allow that to peel away. And, like, I'll say it, if they're, like, you know, I'm not hiding anything. Like, what do you, what do, you do? I'm a youth pastor um, besides this, you know. I'm, uh, I love Jesus, you know. I'm very upfront. If they're curious, I just don't, like, shove it in their face all the time, um, which I'm not saying. If that's your motto, if that's your motif, whatever the word is, that's how you operate, <laughs> and that works for you, keep doing it, please, please. Some people are battering rams. Some people are more like, come here, come here. You know, and I like to establish relationship with people so there's a level of trust, and then I can start to dialogue based off of that. That's kind of how I operate. And so I'll let these guys get close to me who are so different than me, and I'll just, you know, I'll have these opportunic moments like Samson where I'll just kind of spring an ambush on them. And I've, it's so weird because, like, these same guys that I, I worked with for, like, four years, they'd come up with the weirdest questions. Like, they'd come up to me and they'd be like, so what's this praying in tongues thing about? And they feel safe enough to ask that question. Like, you know what I mean? That's kind of a big deal when someone, one of the most awkward things in Christianity for some people. I mean, it's super weird, guys. Let's not, like, you know, in the natural mind. Let's not pretend. I'm, I pray in tongues all the time. And I pray, you know, pu- publicly here in worship and all that. I don't care. I'm just saying, it's pretty weird. Like, can we all just, like, it's <laughs> like, we're all good with that? Okay. It's pretty strange. You're like, that's from God. I'm like, Yes is weird sometimes in in our thinking and he's like the most natural person in the world to him he's like you guys are the weird ones uh no <laughs> just kidding he doesn't probably doesn't do that but i would have these moments where they'd come and they'd ask me stuff and they'd just be ready to receive something from me and it's like the ambush is sprung i get to talk to you about jesus and you didn't and you set yourself up <laughs> you think you got me i got you <laughs> you know and god's waiting for people that are willing to be on the edge of their seat, waiting for their love to reach out to somebody and say, actually, I do know a better way. And, and some of these guys have called me and asked for relationship advice, have, have called me and been like, you know, what do you think about this? I'm like, well, first of all, you shouldn't have moved in with your girlfriend. I don't say it like that, but <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. Uh, it's like, maybe that was a, a bad mistake in the first place. But, and getting an opportunity to share wisdom with them because I've established that love line, okay? And they trust me. And I'm like, you don't have to take my advice. You don't. If you see value in it, please pick it up and run with it. And I find that approach works really well. Um, And it's slower. And I think people don't like the agricultural mindset of you're growing something instead of you go to the supermarket and you buy it. Um, I think more agriculturally. When I'm developing, uh, you know, people, like if I'm doing youth ministry, I'm like, okay, you're not there yet, but I'm seeing four seasons down the line. I'm not seeing where the state of your current place, you know, with my coworker at work, okay, you have some pretty severe issues, that's clear, um, but I'm not saying, okay, by next season, this is all going to be cleared up, and it has to be, or else I wasn't a good Christian, I'm saying, I'm going to take my time, and I'm going to look for those opportunities where God lets me help him develop you, okay, okay, so the next one uh, is Cornelius, and he's in Acts 10, and this is acts of love-inspired service that enable breakthrough, okay? 
I'll say that again, acts of love-inspired service that enable breakthrough. Some of you, the way you serve is going to cause radical changes in your community. And that's how your love is going to fight for your community. Some of you are already in positions where you affect the health and welfare of your community and the people around you. Some people, you're a mom, and your community is your family, and you are sowing the seeds of health into your family. Some of you, maybe you work for the government, and that's your avenue. Maybe you work for a business. You have these little pockets of community and connection where you are distributing life through, okay? Cornelius was the bridge for Gentiles to receive Christ. He was the bridge for Gentiles in the New Testament to receive Christ outside of just the Jewish people. And I want to read something about why God chose him and why God's going to choose some of you. So, the three services, prayer, fasting, and giving. Okay, here we go. Praying and fasting. While fasting and praying, I've never thought of fasting as a service until like last night. I was just like, I thought that's where we were dying. And Jesus was like, that's cool. And that's why we did it. Uh, I know it's, I don't think it's that simple, but it's just like, I never thought of it as like, this is my service to God, which I really think this is cool. While fasting and praying, Cornelius saw an angel that said, your alms are remembered in the sight of God. And because of that, God sends Peter to his house, and his house is the first batch of Gentiles to receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit and salvation before Peter is done preaching. He, hasn't, he didn't do an altar call. He just got up and started telling the testimony of Jesus Christ, and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit and start speaking in tongues. So I assume they believed what he was saying. <laughs> and here's the reason that God gives. Your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Giving to the poor. Alms. Acts of service enable breakthrough. Some of you are going to go from this place, and your acts of service and love for the people around you are going to be what actually shifts things. Some of you already do that. And I, I think I've used this example before about pie. I don't know why I'm going to say it again, but I just love pie, I guess. <laughs> Some of you, all you're going to do is bake a pie. And you're going to give it to the right person at the right time. And they're going to know God loves them. That sounds stupid to some of you. Well, you can buy a pie at Walmart. But it's not the spirit-led pie. It's totally different. You get what I'm saying? Let's say John and Jerry make a pie. John is led by the spirit and anointed. Jerry likes pie. John has compassion for someone and decides to make them a pie. They get the pie. It's an act of service that God's not going to depart from. If it's an act of love, it's an act of compassion, let's say his hand's even on it. Sometimes I think God likes our ideas, so I'm kind of leaving it a little vague, but let's say John just had a moment of compassion for someone. Do you think God's going to remove his influence off of that pie? They're like, but it's filled with sugar and G&Ms. Like, it's not the point. It's not the point. 
All right, I'm about done. You guys get what I'm saying? I'm trying to make this a little more level for you. I'm just saying have a pie fight. Warrior with pie. My ideas are connecting really well. And then my last example is that Jesus flipped tables. And um, these are just, you know, ways that you can translate it into your life and ways that you can stand up for truth and that you can pursue opportunities despite the fact that there's a part of you that's wanting not to do that. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the reason you're a fighter is because you're actually fighting your internal unredeemed nature. I'm saying the soul that has been trained not to follow God, the parts of us that are still being redeemed, that God is renewing day by day, he's breaking old mindsets off of you, and he's breaking old ideas off of you. That's happening all the time. But you're fighting that in these moments when you know love wants to win, you know love wants to get through and, and, and reach out to this person, but you have to turn off that old nature that's saying, kill him! You have to turn that off. You have to overcome that. You have to be brave enough to reach out in those difficult moments, and it's not always difficult. Sometimes it's just you're lazy, and you have to get out of bed or get out of your funk or do something. There's all these different things in the soul that happen to us. You know, withstanding someone's wrath is, is, is just one area. But I'm saying there's these things that combat the love nature of God, and you have to fight. You have to fight because you know it's true, and you know it's good, and you see what could be for that person. You see what love could do to that person how love could change them, how love could transform their life and their family's life. You have to see the big picture. What could this generational line be? If I reach out to this one person, what if for 10 generations they all live for Christ? What kind of reward in heaven is that? You affected 10 generations? You think you're going to get up and, and God's going to be like, you were nice to Bob that one time? That's it. No. There's a line of people behind Bob that you set off a, a tidal wave from a one decision not to rip Bob's head off at work. And Bob finally trusted you enough to ask you about Christ. You get what I'm saying. There's an opportunity here. Let's not miss it. Let's fight for love. Let's fight for this opportunity. What can you do? It's easy, guys. Easy. Most of the change that God's doing is not in the church. This is my dramatic pocket. It's not. Why? Because most people aren't in church. Most people aren't in church. They're out there somewhere. That's where a lot of the action is happening, guys. And it's easy for you to do it. You know why? Because it's already inside of you. All you got to do is open the little window in your heart and let that out. And not let your soul dominate the conversation. Not let your soul attack. Not let your soul go back to its old ways of doing things. Not let your soul get offended. Do you think Jesus had an opportunity to be offended when he was being crucified? Maybe a couple of opportunities? Okay. And through that extreme circumstance, he kept his love going. He didn't turn it off. I'm saying you don't have to turn it off. I'm saying you can let it manifest constantly. And that's what you're fighting for. That's your battle. That's your battle. That's the truth of, of what it means to have a warrior spirit. 
And I'm going to skip Jesus flipping tables because you guys can read that story by yourself later. Jesus was protecting the culture of the, of the church of that time by clearing out those people. It was him protecting them, not because he was mad at the people for what they were doing. If he was mad, it was mad because people were hindered in their connection with God because of what those people were doing with their business. So this morning, cutting foot. There's something in the air. Something in the air that is there's something God is doing in the air this morning. That was good mood music. Thank you. That he's wanting to, and I believe there are divine moments in God where he creates a shift. I believe this morning is one of those moments. And I've just been buttering you up for this. That's what all this has been, buttering you up, getting you ready, and he's going to put you in the oven. You're like, that sounds terrible. It's a metaphor. It didn't go very well. He wants to connect with you and change something in your heart this morning. And he wants to use this as a divine moment. Why? Because I imagine some of us have a little bit more faith than this when we started this morning for combating the old nature in us and letting love free. The war is over. Tell your heart. Just put your hand on your heart this morning. Just say the war is over. God has brought you justice. And he's going to continue to bring you justice. And your job is. Yeah, that's right. Well, Cornell, you confused me. (laughs) I was like, whose job is it? I don't remember. Tell your heart this. Your job is. Is to surrender to the love that's already there. You've been born again. You're ready to love. Go ahead and and open your eyes if they're closed. And if you're all awkwardly staring at me, just continue to do that. (laughs) Sorry. I'm not very formal. But I just want you to stand this morning if you're ready to receive conditional standing. If you're ready to receive an infilling of the Holy Spirit that's going to lead you into boldness and lead you into a new place in God that you're going to love violently. You're going to overcome the worst of circumstances where love doesn't want to shine in you because your soul is like, it's not fair. And you're going to say, you know what? It's going to be okay. Jesus paid it all. I'm going to love through this. I'm going to endure this for the joy set before me. Some of you, you have to see that there's joy set before you. There's joy coming on the other side of your love. And some of you have been struggling under the weight of fear and anxiety and even your own choices. And you have to see that on the other side of sacrificial love is joy. And that's where your life source is. The reason you feel trapped and confined and and hurting is because you need to get through. And does it hurt a little bit? Oh, yeah. It doesn't feel great at the time. Your soul is like a a fish flopping out of water sometimes because it doesn't understand. Why are we loving this person? It doesn't make any sense. Why should I love this? I don't have any good reasons. You just need one reason. You just need one. It's who you are. It's your nature to love. So if you want that fresh infilling this morning, just go ahead and stand on your feet. And let's just lift our hands to the Father. 
Holy Spirit, come and do a work this morning. We just thank you that you are pouring out blessing upon blessing on this people. We are a community of fighters. We are a community of lovers that stand up in the face of opposition and say, we will love through this. And Lord, I thank you that you're moving across this room right now. You're touching hearts. You're touching minds. You're, you're bringing forgiveness for some of these areas where people have felt injustice. Lord, you're breaking away the crust of, of reasons why I can't love, of reasons why I can't step in and, and be the person I know I'm called to be. I know I'm called to love, but because of this, I can't. And those reasons are no longer, they're no longer sufficient. The Lord is moving in with power. He's erasing the memories of abuse that you've suffered. He's erasing the, the, the reality of that hurt. And he's saying there's a higher reality, and it's called love, and it's called joy, and it's called peace, and it's called long-suffering, it's called gentleness, it's called patience. And you're going to live, and you're going to breathe easy now. And that weight, that weight of restriction, that weight of religion, that weight that is so heavily upon you is being lifted right now, Right now, right now in the name of Jesus, we just command the fog to lift off of people's minds. We command the brokenness to lift off of people's minds and we speak life. We say life in Jesus' name. We say life in Jesus' name. And the heart is softening. I just see God softening hearts right now. It's the hardness of years of offense just breaking off of some of you right now. Years of offense breaking off of you right now. It's going to be like, why did I ever carry that? Why did I ever hold on to that for so long? Your tendency to be angry is going to leave. Some of you, that wrath, that, that tendency to lash out, it's breaking off of you right now. It's breaking off of your life. I just see some of you, you've had family members that have been estranged for so long. They've been distant for so long because of brokenness. And God is saying, the warrior spirit's about to come in you. The warrior spirit's about to fight for your family. The warrior spirit's about to rise up and say, I'm coming through and I'm coming for you, family. I'm coming to show you what love looks like. I'm coming to speak the truth to you in love. I'm coming to set you free by the word of my testimony. Jesus, the word of testimony, raise it up in us. Raise it up in us. Thank you, Father. Father, I just thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. I just thank you, Lord God, that we are allowing love to rise up in our hearts. And that we are allowing love to rise up in our hearts, and we're putting offenses lower. Like, let love rise and offense lower in Jesus' name. That we overcome... Those who have wounded us, wounds that we have allowed in, that we are overcoming those by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, and that we're releasing them. And I just feel like right now there's some people here who the offenses are so strong, 
and it's so real and it's so raw and we have to say yes lord you can have these areas of my heart i release these to you so love can come in i release the offense so love can come in and i choose i choose to love my enemies god i choose to love my enemies as you have loved me I choose to love my enemies as you have loved me. And Father, I just thank you that we can just take your love out of here from today, that your realness isn't just in this church, but it's when we walk outside those doors. It's when we walk into our families. It's when we walk into our workplace. It's when we walk into the real life, Lord God, that your love is so real and so tangible, Father God. And we just choose to love. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord God. Amen. Amen. Wasn't that good? Wasn't that good? And I just say, if any of you guys would like prayer, um, just maybe Caleb's, there's a phrase that was said. There is a, a memory that came, something that popped open. I want my, my uh, kindling team to come up, prayer team to come up. And if you'd like prayer, that we're open um, just to pray for you and um, just be here for you guys. So we love you guys. Uh, we're uh, ministry team come up front, and um, we just love to pray and love on you guys. So be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>